Dearest listeners, on this episode, we are discussing season two of Bridgerton and the book it's based on, The Viscount Who Loved Me. This episode will be full of scandal and some unladylike language, so if you haven't read this book or watched the latest episodes, we'd grab your mallet of death and promenade over to another episode. Welcome back to Page Rage. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. I think we've completely forgotten how to podcast, so just bear with us through this episode. It's been a minute. (laughs) It has definitely been a minute. We have been gallivanting and promenading all over the United States, at least I have. Kat has been in half of these travels with me, but yeah, only one. I didn't. I didn't end up on the other one. Sadly, <laughs> sadly, I did not. But I was in DC for the Bridgerton experience. We sure were, and what an experience it was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts. We have a lot of thoughts <laughs> and a lot of feelings about this. Um, overall, stayed in Georgetown, really enjoyed Georgetown, contemplated moving to Georgetown, even reached out to a few realtors because we were just living our, our best life there. So overall, enjoyed our actual trip. However, the Bridgerton experience, I will say, was a little bit of a disappointment. I think if you're going to maybe one of the other locations, you probably would have a little bit of a different vibe. But the one in DC is literally in a converted warehouse. It was to the point where our Uber drivers couldn't find us, thought we were at like an Amtrak station. Everybody was very confused. It just wasn't the ambiance we were really looking for. We were at the Amtrak station. It was right we by. were literally at an Amtrak station. <laughs> it, was, it was right behind us. We were over the chain link fence <laughs> from an Amtrak station. So just imagine everybody promenading in their beautiful dresses and gowns, literally past a warehouse and chain link fences. And it was... Um, it was unique, to say the least. Our Uber driver did not want to drop us off. He did not. He was very <laughs> He was not. He was like, not where are you going? This is not good. So wouldn't recommend the DC one. We also unfortunately made the mistake of not getting all of our pictures done like the mm-hmm. second that we got there because we thought we had time. Alas, we did not. So we got none of the portraits, none of the pictures that we wanted because once you move into the second room, everybody who's going, you cannot go back into the first part. So biggest recommendation is as soon as you get in there, don't worry about drinks. Don't worry about presenting yourself to the queen. Get in line for your portrait. Get whatever pictures you need in that first part of the room and then do all the other things because there's another bar in the second place. Queen's in there. Everybody's in there. That was a big disappointment. Also, if you are getting your portraits, be aware of the line behind you because people were taking about 17 portraits Mm -hmm. and that line barely moved. Correct. We were in the back of it. We sure Before they kicked us into the second room. Mm -hmm. They shoveled us in there and then we thought we could go back and we couldn't. We could not. But I will say the performances were mm-hmm. lovely. The dancers were incredible. The musicians were amazing. So enjoyed all of that part of it. But I can't say it was the greatest overall experience. Uh, but I do think if you go to another location, it might be better if it's held at an actual hotel and not a hovel by an Amtrak station. Mm-hmm. Also, if you are going to the D.C. or Georgetown area... Do not, and I repeat, do not go to the dry bar in Georgetown. It is literally run by heathens, and it was some of the rudest people I have ever experienced. Kat and I were literally five minutes late, and they would not do our hair. We had full face beat, by the way. We finally convinced them to at least wash our hair for us, and then just walked around the Georgetown street, (laughs) fully beat face and wet, dripping hair, until uh, the gentleman across the street, who also ran a beauty salon, decided to take pity on us and uh, got us ready for the ball. So shout out to Talio O'Hare. If you're yes. ever in Georgetown, please go, go visit them. Giuseppe and Renato, the real handsome silver we fox. Love I loved him so much. We love they them. definitely took care of us and took pity on us. And I will forever be grateful for what they did because <laughs> the driver, <laughs> I can't even talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. It was the, t- the worst experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, but shout out to the Sephora in Georgetown. They did a kick-ass job. They did a great job. Let's get into this one since it's been a minute since we've done one of these. And thank God we're coming back with one of my favorite books in the Bridgerton series. The Viscount Who Loved Me made its social debut in June of 2006. This is the second installment in the Bridgerton series and introduces us to the real main character, Newton Sheffield, and his strong sidekick, Kate. Kate Sheffield is the only thing keeping Anthony Bridgerton from locking down his checklist bride, Miss Edwina Sheffield. 
Even though Anthony has his sights set on the little sister, Kate is the woman he dreams about incessantly. Kate can't stand his rakish ways and Anthony can't stand her impertinence, but in the end, neither can resist the pull to one another. A shotgun wedding ensues after an incident with a bee witnessed by the ton and Anthony loses his battle against not falling in love with his wife. All right, let's let's just jump right in. Was this a rage or rave for you? It was a rave for me. It was probably my favorite book in the series. Yeah, this is my favorite book in the series. Um, still is. I haven't reread the whole series, but uh, to date, still my favorite. Definitely still the one I enjoyed the most. I don't think any of them can top Newton and his nonsense. So <laughs> just that alone is worth is worth the read. I love this book mostly because of the corgi, but I also mm-hmm. liked Kate. I liked her. I think she was probably my favorite female in the whole series. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Did you feel any differently about rereading this book after you watched it? Yeah, I did not remember as much, which I'll get into when we talk about the show piece of it. But yeah, I I don't think I remembered the ending being quite the way it was. I think I might have meshed it together with one of the other trillion that are in the series, maybe one that's a little later down. (laughs) I think it was Gregory's book when there's like this, like, it wasn't even a love triangle. It was like a love square of like eight Mm -hmm. people that were, I think I was kind of mushing that together in my head. So I was kind of like, wait, how does this go? (laughs) I don't really remember, but I did still enjoy rereading it. Lady Whistledown's interaction with Newton and just her having to take her words back and correct because she had the audacity to say he was just some random dog. And then she's like, I am so sorry. I retract my statement. He is a distinguished corgi gentleman. Like it was just, that was my favorite paragraph of all time. All corgis are gentlemen. <laughs> As a savage. I think I just did a reread because I felt like it maybe about four or five months before the show. So I'll get into how I felt when I watched the show. And then when I reread everything, I was just like, oh, you know, it's like a comfort when you reread a book that you really love that you know everything's gonna happen it was just a nice easy no anxiety read (laughs) no anxiety read (laughs) no anxiety read I'm dying. I will also say, though, that this book has one of my favorite opening lines probably of all time. I know everybody likes to do the opening line of Pride and Prejudice. Um, but for me, it was like, literally, there are rakes, and then there are rakes. <laughs> like, I just hear like the emphasis of the capital R, like, oh, lady, whistle down. Penelope, you kill me. So I loved it. There's a lot of good one-liners. There really are. And this was the one, I know you guys have heard a lot about this infamous trip to France that we took but you guys have to understand like we had food poisoning on a international flight from the New York area to France I spent four and a half hours like vomiting up my life and then we get to Paris Kat and I are both just dead for like a day and then I want to say like day two I was finally like alive enough to start reading something and I was reading this for the first time and all I, I was cackling and Kat just like, what are you reading? <laughs> so that's that was really when my love affair with Bridgerton started. It was in 2019. So needless to say, I was obsessed with the fact that there was going to be a show. Um, but this this book was hands down what propelled me into getting through the rest of the 800 in the series. <laughs> the 800. <laughs> There's so many, so many damn kids. So. <laughs> Honestly, I think I blacked out at Gregory's book because I don't remember anything. It was just towards the end. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've read too many. I don't think they all needed a romance. I think we could have just kept it to maybe the top four, leading Mm -hmm. four, and then just talked about other people in the the hemisphere of the ton. It was was too many. Yeah, we could have gone without Francesca. Yeah. Who is Francesca? I completely forget about her. She's literally not in the show. Yeah, I read an article and they said she had uh, scheduling conflicts. She was supposed to be in the show more this season but with scheduling mm. conflicts they were like she's totally Bridgerton though and I was like how would you know that is she she's had zero lines <laughs> so far Francesca doesn't exist in my in my life she just we just skipped F apparently so. <laughs> well let's get into the book so this is one of the things that differs between the book and the show but in the book how do you think Anthony's father's death affected him and just his overall not only his view of relationships but his life view as a whole well, he thought he was going to die yeah. like at 30, 38. So he thought he was going to die super early. So he, I could see why he didn't want to leave somebody in as much grief as his dad left his mom. So I can totally see him not trying to replicate what 
his mom had to deal with because he loves his mom so much and also the kids. So it just made him afraid of everything and love <laughs> everything <laughs> of everything and love, especially bees. Well, I can understand. I mean, if your father is felled by a bee, I think I can also understand being petrified in some capacity, especially then when they didn't understand like, <laughs> where's the EpiPen? Like that wasn't a thing. So I would also be a little more concerned about things like that. I was reading some of the afterward thoughts by Julia Quinn. And she said that that is actually a pretty common thing for men. For some reason, if they lose their father very early in their life, they go into this mentality where they cannot see themselves like living past their father. And that's very common. She said it's not as common with women, but it's a very common occurrence for men. So I I thought that was really interesting and sad at the same time. That That is really sad. That that's a thing. But also his perfectionist tendencies definitely are reflection of his trauma because you as a fellow perfectionist you try to keep you know create order and make sure you are owning everything around you so that way you can you know make sure you are keeping everything straight and everything is moving the way it needs to be and whatever whatever it's just a reaction of you know some kind of trauma in your past anyway so I was like oh Anthony I feel for you I definitely completely understand where we're why we are the way we are here so i got virgo vibes no lie oh yeah hardcore virgo perfectionist vibes but that's really just what it is this is the perfectionism just a reaction to his father's death yeah i see myself more in colin book colin or show colin because show colin is no book colin for sure show colin gets on my nerves i'm like we'll get into that that's part of my i have like a whole notes thing for the show i was chugging away on the notes app during the show one of my characters who i did love was kate aka Catherine Sheffield. Shout out to the Catherines. And she had a corgi, like me. (laughs) However, I did not have a sister. Kate is protective in the show, like crazy, but also protective in the book. So why do you think she takes it upon herself versus her mom to determine what's suitable for her sister? I honestly don't think we get as much of a reason in the book as we do in the show. In the book, it's just kind of something that she did. But I don't think we saw the relationship between Edwina and Kate in the book the way we did in the show. Edwina is just kind of is very much a background character in the book. Mm -hmm. We don't really know anything about her. She, I mean, maybe has like a whole paragraph about her if you total it up where she's actually involved. So I don't think we have as much of the motivation in the book. I think it's just something that Kate took on upon herself as the oldest. It's just something she felt like she had to do to help her mom. But in the show, we see a lot more motivation, at least in my opinion. I think Kate holds a lot in the book, holds a lot more on herself because she was taken in by Edwina's mom, mm-hmm. who is not her biological mom. And I think she feels like she owes them something. It's almost mirrors Anthony in the sense of their ideas of responsibility are so on a perfectionist level that they can't mm-hmm. let anybody down, even if it's not something they need to do. Yeah, I think you see that they are much more aligned in their personalities and their outlook in the book than what we see in the show. But also we, we, we can see their inner thoughts, obviously, reading the book. We can't necessarily see that in the show. We can just kind of see emotions and whatever. But in the book, you just have that internal perspective. So we kind of know a little bit more about what's going on. But let's talk about my favorite character, Newton. <laughs> he makes me so happy. Is, but that's the thing is, he actually is a character. And it wasn't shown quite as such in the show. Uh, Because he is truly his own character in the book. He is the catalyst of a lot of chaos, brilliant chaos in the book. And like I said, he is the only person, I'm calling him a person, who's been able to get Lady Whistledown to retract any statements in her society paper. So I consider him to be pretty high up in terms of the ton. So I mean, we all know I'm obsessed. Every scene he was in stole my heart. But my favorite was when he went (laughs) running. Mm Mm-hmm. All I can think about is a fat corgi running and I'm so mad at the show for denying me that scene. (laughs) Yeah, that is one of my favorite scenes and especially the part where they were like, just wait a minute, you're going to hear some lady freaking out because he's just going to go running over her and you're going to hear the screech and then it was like three, two, one and you hear a scream in the corner so that you can go and find him. I just... I loved it. And I, I loved how much he loved Mary and how mm-hmm. much he, she she was fine with him, but she just did not love him the way he loved her. And it just, and dogs know, dogs know when somebody is really trying to avoid them and they just make sure that they are on that person. It, it is hilarious to watch. I loved everything he chose to be as a person. Mm. 
But speaking of Mary, can we discuss Mary's talk about the wedding night? Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure which one is better or worse. The one that Violet had with Daphne in book one or the one that Mary had with Kate in book two. I think at least Mary gave a little more details than Violet did. I mean, it was absurd, but I guess this was just the time. But at least Mary really did try to give her a heads up that it's not always pleasant. It's not always something, but here's all the signs that, you know, he's going to actually take care of you, this, that, and the other. Daphne got nothing. Daphne did not know what the hell was about to happen. It blows my mind how in the dark women were back Mm -hmm. then. It blows my mind. But I guess when like showing ankle is considered scandalous. I was uncomfortable in that talk that Mary gave. I was like, oh, okay. Let's keep going. Skip past this. I don't want it. (laughs) I don't think it's ever comfortable, but Mary, I think, tried a bit more than what we saw in book one. So I'll give her that. She did. Yeah. You think Violet, after she popped out 17 kids, would have. Would be able to be like, okay, here's the deal. But she was so awkward. So what do you think was the turning point for Anthony and Kate for their relationship? It's a book. I definitely think it was the night that he found her in the library because her terror her like night full-on terrors that she has with storms were a very watered down version in the show of what they actually were in the book and so I think him you know kind of getting under the desk with her in the library and like walking her through it calming her down and them actually having like an open and honest and vulnerable conversation I think that was really one of the big turning points for them just as people interacting with Mm -hmm. each other Um, and just not to be constantly squabbling, but to actually have a conversation because you can squabble and you can banter and all these things. But if you can't sit down and have an actual conversation, you're never going to get anywhere. You're just going to be like fighting with this person all the time. Correct. I I agree. That's, that's exactly what I thought of. Also, they started talking about their dads and I think that also led because they shared both of their loss on that. And when people share a loss, it builds a bond. Kate had such an interesting perspective too. It was one of the lines that I really liked that Julia Quinn wrote where she was just kind of discussing how Kate had been through two different types of loss. One when she was very young and not really remembering her parent. Mm -hmm. And then another when she was older and like actually feeling that loss and being able to relate to both Anthony, but also his younger siblings who genuinely had no Mm -hmm. idea of who their father was. So I think that's going to be a good, good addition to the Bridgerton household uh, down the road. I think she's a good addition regardless. I do too. I think they should be lucky. Newton comes with them. Also, Newton likes him in the book. (laughs) Doesn't like him in the show. Because the corgi in the show (laughs) did not like the actor. And that was the funny part. So it's like they did the best they could, but they just had this like weird relationship. So I think he was just being sassy. Like there's no way to (laughs) like him. I think he was just being a little hard to get. Did you like this more than the Duke and I? <laughs> um, yes, I definitely did. But mostly because I was very annoyed by Daphne's character. If you listen to our very first episode mm-hmm. of Page Rage, Daphne drives me crazy in the book and in the show. I was like, not in as, the show. Yeah, not as much in the second season later on in the episodes. But season one and book one, da- I'm not a Daphne fan. But she was also young. She was also very young. So I guess I'll give her a pass there. But yeah, just from the aspect of Kate was supposed to be a little bit older, although 21 is not much older. It was my favorite in the series. And I think the one I liked the next best was actually Hyacinth's book. And it's not so much for her. I like the guy. I like mm. Lady Danbury's grandson. It was Gareth, I think. Yeah. Gareth. Yeah. yeah. I think I just enjoyed Lady Danbury being so involved in that mm-hmm. one. That's probably what it was. But yeah, I did like that one. That's one and Penelope and Collins are the of ones course. I always yeah. throw out. Yeah. Uh, that's the ones I always say when I'm like, these are the ones you should read. Yeah. You don't have to read the other 15. Okay. Well, most of romance novels, as we know, do wait until the end for the main characters to really get together. Julia Quinn changes that up a bit in both of her novels. I think that's just a reflection of the time period it was in. Uh, <laughs> but is that a, a rage or a rave for you? I think it's a rave for me because I like them to get together and have some kind of growing together as a couple. Yeah, I would agree. I like to actually be able to see a little bit of them in an actual relationship. I don't like it when it just kind of ends with them finally getting together. It's But I was like, I, I want to know what happens next. And I know we usually get like a little epilogue or something, mm-hmm. but I like a I like a little more. So I'm I'm I don't have an issue with it. Especially because their amount of bickering, which I'm all for bickering, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to have read a whole book like that. I would have no. gotten real bored real easy. I would be like, this is annoying. It gets too much at some point. But 
this book, the epilogue is, or the second epilogue is actually one of my favorites because it's like another Paul Mall game, mm-hmm. like 10 or 15 years down the road. And I just, I love this game so much because I just love how they act. Cause I would be exactly the same. I would be like throwing other people's balls in the <laughs> lake and I would take every single of my turns to just fuck with other players. Like I love everything about this game. It's one of my favorite parts of the book. So that epilogue in this, I do, I do love. Note to everyone, get Ashley on your side for Palmol. I'm extremely competitive. (laughs) You want me. I'm going to get us there one way or the other. That's why we work, because I'm, like, not competitive at all. And I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what? (laughs) Where are we going? Get in the wagon! (laughs) We ride it, John! So when we say we ride it, John, it's me riding and Kat's probably in the wagon behind me. Like, what? What are we doing okay it's just like if we're walking somewhere ashley is about like a block and a half ahead of me and i'm strolling on down in the back i've already visited four shops grabbed a coffee like did a whole lube came back yeah. i'm a strong ambler that's that's like my good quality in me i will say she'll pick up the pace a little bit but it drives me up the fucking wall so i've gotten better i've gotten better she has gotten better because she's had some moments where i was like i'm gonna leave you (laughs) i can't do this that would have been a great promenader (laughs) yes you would have because you had to be slow but also in all those clothes i would not be able to move with a quickness either sweating yeah sweating so many layers Oh, so all I can think about it. I was like, y'all didn't sweat back then? You know, I really wouldn't want to wear all the layers, but when they were just talking about the fact that all they had to do all day was like read and whatever, I was like, that's not a bad idea. Just walk your dog and read. Like, I mean, I could use that for like a month and then I'd get bored. (laughs) She like whip a Paul Mall tournament into Shaver real quick. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. I was like, should I just make my 35th Bridgerton experience and like rent a house and bath and like do Paul Mall and all this? That would be we If we do that, um, I'm going to tag them and everything. (laughs) It's a a consideration. You heard it here first. Nobody steal it. So let's get into the show. After two years, Bridgerton made their second debut, and this one had the challenge of making the eldest brother, Anthony, completely redeemable from the first season. We get a much more in-depth look at the young Viscount Bridgerton, played by Jonathan Bailey, and his quest to find a perfect checklist bride in Edwina Sharma, Charitra Chendron. But the bane of his existence comes in the form of her protective older sister, Kate Sharma, played by Simone Ashley, but that makes it worse for him, as she is also the object of all of his desires. Cue wedding day drama, lots of scandalous gossip for the ton, and Eloise finally solving the mystery of Lady Whistledown's true identity. So before we start, we had two non-negotiables when we knew season two was being filmed. One, that Newton was part of the story and casted correctly. And two, that they showed the Pall Mall game and the Mallet of Death. Both of those boxes were checked. But how did you feel about the way they handled those two? First, I would like everybody to know out there that Newton is actually Savage's third cousin on his father's side. The Paul Mall game, I'm not as invested into it as you are. I thought it was cute. Newton, I was very pissed. (laughs) He deserved, I wrote in my notes, he deserved much more screen time. Also, they took away my moment to see a fat corgi running and I'll never forgive them for that. And I didn't like the whole, that whole scene. I liked how it was built up and he's shooting across and Anthony's running after him and said, he just gets behind Anthony. You don't even say anything. You hear him yelp and then Anthony falls. And I was like, how lame. It was still funny, though, because as somebody who has, like, the two tiny dogs, I know you do, too, but they are always under your foot. And as a tall person, they are not in your peripherals at all. So it is so – I can't tell you how many times I trip over them. So I was just cackling because I'm like, yeah, that that is something that happens. It's totally – totally doable mm-hmm. oh yeah i trip over savage all, um, always on the daily i'm like savage come on man i was like you're the size of my ankle that was what it broke my heart is i had envisioned yeah. this fat corgi sprinting yeah. across the yard and i didn't get any of that i agree there definitely was not enough newton content he was just no. kind of almost like a set piece instead of being mm-hmm. the character that he was supposed to be like newton is a main character in this book and he should have been a main character in the show and they took away several of his best scenes in the book. He didn't even interact with Mary. I know. I was very sad by that. I really wanted the Lady Whistledown thing with Newton. and But you couldn't do that because they didn't even chase through the park. So that made me sad too. That was I was not a fan. But I did enjoy the Paul Mall game. I thought they did a 
fantastic mm-hmm. job of capturing the spirit of Paul Mall and the Bridgertons playing Paul Mall at that. Uh, the Mallet of Death was perfect. Kate and Anthony shuffle over the Mallet of Death and him ending up with the pink one. It oh, was beautiful. Yeah. It was, like it was so well done. So that made me, I was very happy with that. Overall, was it a rage or a rave for you? I do think it was a rave for me, but I will also say that unlike the first season, I did not read the book recently before watching it. And I think to be completely honest, if you are somebody who has read the Bridgerton books, do not reread them until after you watch the show. Because I think that's the only way we can really enjoy it. Because season one was so hard for me to watch because everything was wrong. And it wasn't necessarily wrong in a bad way. But it was just so different that I couldn't enjoy it. The second one, I have not read the book since 2019. So didn't remember enough of the small little details to be upset about the major changes. And now that I've reread it I see how much was changed and why but I actually kind of like some of the changes what about you it was actually more on a again I reread it earlier I want to say I'm leaning more towards a rage side because a lot of the changes fine like even the Newton thing I can understand how having a live dog on set can get hard and making this fat corgi streak across the yard is probably not that easy to film I said this in the last first episode we did There are so many opportunities we could have put the musicale in. I didn't need the hunting scene. I thought it was weird. First of all, what kind of gun gun etiquette? Gun etiquette. Everybody pointing guns at everybody. You were supposed to point your gun down. (laughs) I'm like looking at everybody's just swinging guns around. I'm like, what is happening? I was like stressed out. I was like, is this going to, you never know with Shonda, man. I thought somebody's head was going to get blown off at some point. I was so annoyed. Second, (laughs) that weird talent show Lady Danbury had. That was unnecessary and would have been a perfect entrance for a musicale right there. Drove me crazy. I mean, that was just for the men too. So the, the whole point of that was the women are always the ones trying to impress the men. So she put on a show for the men to actually try to impress the women. So I liked the fact that it, it actually flipped, but I would still like to see the Smythe Smith musicale. And I do agree. I think there was, I think there were some things in here that could have been um, cut out to put some of these other things in. Oh, the Marina and Colin thing. Why did she that come back? Weird. I don't I think that needed I didn't to that. happen at all. That was another nope. scene that I don't think added anything to the story. I didn't care about where she went afterwards. Nope. The only thing that I did enjoy was getting to meet her husband, since at least mm-hmm. in the book series, that is who Eloise is supposed to end up with. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was a very, he seemed like a very nice man <laughs> in the <laughs> show. I liked it. I liked him, but it didn't need to happen. So they had enough going on in the show. And that was one of my rages is, although I I did, I really enjoyed this season, but I think that there were too many side storylines happening. Even the storyline with the former boxer who like took over the bar and then you have everything happening with Penelope and then you have Eloise and her side piece. And like, there were so many side things going on that if you're going to do all that, then we have to cut some other things. But Like the thing with the boxer and the barb, I don't think we needed that. I don't think it added anything to it. I'm not saying I don't like his character, but I don't know that we needed that in this particular season. Um, So I just think they were trying to do a little bit too much. uh, I I wouldn't even thought he was going to be a reoccurring character considering he was BFFs with Dookie over there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when he popped in, I was like, oh, I'm surprised on that. I didn't even know you were coming back. And honestly, until you just brought him up, I had completely forgot he was in the second season. Yeah, it was just that that was really one of the biggest things. There's just too much going on in this season. So that was one of my biggest rages. And then the second one was that I truly felt like there was a Simon shaped hole. And I get it. I understand that, you know, Reggie has blown up after season one, and he wanted to go off and do all of his other things. But I'm like, could we have one day of filming and you just mm-hmm. show up in Palm Mall and like a couple other scenes because it just didn't feel right to not have him there. Like I felt the difference and I, I think it changed some of the dynamic because while I loved Daphne and Anthony's relationship much more in this season because it was closer to how they were in yeah. the books. Simon was also a piece of that because him and Anthony were really close friends, although they had some drama because of Daphne, but they were really good friends. And I think, Anthony could have really leaned on Simon quite a bit as he was working through some of this, especially because Colin is not the Colin that he was in the book. No. Uh, although I do, I did love Benedict in oh. uh, in this. Like him and him and Anthony had some really great moments. So I, I'm telling you, Benedict is coming out swinging for me. I know, I'm so excited. <laughs> 
contradict in this. Every time he's on the screen, he like steals the show, in my opinion. That I agree. Part. I don't know what the fuck Colin was on in this show, but like, what did they do to his character? Because I get that he was going through some things, but he was not the Colin he was supposed to be. Him and Kate were supposed to be very close, first of all. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of supposed to be like an instigator, kind of like Benedict in the background. Absolutely. So I don't know if they were just trying to really separate Benedict and Colin's characters, but I'm like, this isn't Colin. Like, Colin is such a good part of the series. There's room for both of them to be goofy and fuck with their brother and still be individuals. Yeah. Well, overall, though, do you think this season was better or worse than season one? I don't know. I mean, I really liked season one because I felt like it followed the storyline more, but I love season two because I love the characters more. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to pick. I love me some Newton, even mm-hmm. if he wasn't in enough. And I love the characters. I love Kate. I love how good Simone Ashley did. Oh, she was brilliant. I loved mm-hmm. her. The Sharmas were drop dead gorgeous. Like, give me a Seriously? break. Like, the ton did not even stand a fucking chance. Like, Mary? Mary can get it. <laughs> I was like, mom going to go out there and find a husband. She was beautiful. I could Mary not get over it. AF. I wanted all of Simone Ashley's, like, wardrobe. I was like, I'm living for this purple. I didn't like the orange at the end. That was an unfortunate dress. Oh. But other than that, I loved it all. But then I was like, why did we go here with the orange for your last scene? The lingerie so with the satin shorts and the bra. I was like, where can I get that? It was it's beautiful. Purple and yeah. I wanted it. I loved oh, it. I wrote that in my notes. I was like, how, who is, who's your mm-hmm. designer and how do I get this? I loved the tying in of, like, all the Indian fabrics and colors and the jewelry and the customs and just I loved it I loved it so much same well I think I enjoyed this one more than season one mostly because I didn't read the book right before and so unlike season one I actually got to enjoy it uh, because I didn't remember enough about the plot to be frustrated and I love these characters. These are some of my favorite. And I also think the actors have all kind of sunk into the world and gotten a feel for their characters now. Season First seasons of any show, I think, are always tough mm-hmm. because the actors are still trying to, you know, get into their characters. And I think by season two, they're really starting to, like, hit their groove. So I, I definitely think I enjoyed this one. A little bit more, although I I do like both of them. We just have gripes because we love the book so much. Yeah, I think the thing is... is- I am a Shonda Rhimes fan, but to me, there comes to a point where shows get overly dramatic. I remember I tried watching, what was it, Scandal? I watched three episodes in Stress 8, 7 Cupcakes. I love Scandal. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the stress. I mean, this is rough. So to me, there's like certain things that she added in that were parts of the book. Again, that is like a comfort read. And I was like, I liked it because it was light and every and it's happy. Yeah. And it's not as like the Eloise Penelope blow up at the end. I was like, I don't like this. There was no drama and none of that happening. Kat, it would have been a really terrible show. It would have been so boring to watch. Like that's all the things that made it interesting. I get it gave you anxiety, but for yeah, everybody who doesn't it. know Bridgerton, it would have been boring AF. And after rereading the book, after just seeing the show... I, I get it. I get why they had to do certain things. I was like, nothing really happened at the end of the book. Like, truly. It was just Anthony yeah. battling with himself. But it was very similar to season one, if you think about it. So they had to change some stuff up because otherwise it was going to be a very similar arc. Like, so See, I thought they we had enough it. drama with the wedding and mm-hmm. then the Featheringtons and then something else. And then, oh, what's her name? And the fallout. Did we really have to do the best friend fight? I was yes. like, oh, I, was like, I, I think like they, it. I think they had to, because there's no way Eloise could have found out that her best friend was a hiding the fact that she was lady Whistledown and B threw her under the fucking bus, like in a major way after her family is already crumbling. Yes, she did it to save herself, but it had to happen. (laughs) It wasn't like she was going to be like, it's all right, Penelope. Like, fuck (laughs) that. That would not be real. So who wouldn't be so frustrated? I think the whole, like, if they would have saved the ending where she gets, like, dissed i was like don't don't double hit her i was like give her a little bit of a break like you like did that and then the dude she's in love with was like yeah Penelope. it I was, was like, a lot oh. it, it was like was a lot. knife and then they like just twisted it i was like yeah. come on was like, it was a when it rains it pours situation but they also had to make you want to watch season three so there had to be some hubbub i would watch it for benedict i mean yeah all right let's get into some of the biggest changes in the show so we talked about it a little bit but sheffield to sharma change up although there's still sheffields How did you feel about it? Love it. Love it. All here for it. (laughs) I loved everything about that. I loved all the traditions that got brought in. I loved the colors. They were beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love all the references. She was like, I'm just moving back to India. Peace out. Mm -hmm. Eight down down. I was all for that. 
I loved her situation with the tea too. She's like, this British tea is weak AF. Like I loved it. I love that they actually show her making a more traditional tea. Mm -hmm. I also thought that they did a better job. So season one, while I appreciate all the diversity, of course, I think season one, it was a little weird the way that they addressed it. I don't think they needed to. But season two, I felt like it was a more natural fit. It made complete sense. Like Mm -hmm. their mother was, you know, a part of a mixed, like her parents were mixed. She was a Sheffield. She ran off with somebody, you know, who was from India. It made sense. It just fit. It didn't feel as like forced as some of what they were trying to do in season one. So I thought they did a really great job with that. What did you think about the change up in Anthony's dad's death where he was like with him when it happened? I think that it actually had had to happen that way. I think it was actually, I think it made a bit more sense than in the book because he was actually there. So you understand why it was so traumatic for him and why the bee sting was even that much more of a panic moment for him because he literally saw his dad drop down and have an allergic Mm -hmm. reaction to it. In the book, He was away at school. He comes home. Everybody's hysterical. He just kind of sits with his dad all night, which I'm not saying is not traumatic, but I think it did need to happen this way in the the show for you to understand why he had a full blown panic attack when Kate got stung. But what did what are your thoughts? I agree with that, but also the whole part where his mom is having hyacinth that was not in the book. Like he's already gone through one trauma, and then that again when it rains, it pours. Just like you said. That I think solidified. I was like, oh yeah, he's he's traumatized yeah. for real, for real. I think that helped to redeem his character too mm-hmm. because that's that's really when I started feeling for him as a character because they made him such an asshole in season one and he mm-hmm. was not the way, he was not that way in the books. So I think that was part of his redemption and it just let you into why he was the way he was. And I, I really felt for him and his mother in that. And oh. I think you understand their dynamic a little bit more. Although again, I think this book, they got a bit, closer to how they actually were in the books versus season one where he was on some like dick rampage I don't really know what that was but it was <laughs> too much it was too much for me I'm now going to use dick rampage any chance I can I enjoyed Violet and the Viscount will be taking a wife this season <laughs> and he was like did you really did I was like that? get a Violet <laughs> she's like I think I did and then just promenaded away swarm yeah swarm of women just surrounded i was like you deserve that that's what you get i love that scene one of the other big changes in the show was the love triangle between kate antony and edwina that does not happen in the book it happens for like 15 percent of the book and it's not even that serious because again edwina is just a cardboard side character in the book how did you feel about that shift from the book to the show. That is my biggest rage of the whole show. I like this book because I am not a fan of when they pit sibling against sibling, especially in love triangles. I don't like anything about that. I think I remember reading the book for the first time and getting nervous that that's where we were going. And when Edwina did her own thing on the slide with Mr. Bagwell, which I thought was super cool because she kind of was just like, you did your thing, I'm doing mine. Hey, more power to me. I felt like, oh my God, this is like so different than what I've read in such a long time. Somebody's sister sleeps with somebody and I, I just don't like that. So it felt like a breath of fresh air when they didn't pit sister against sister. And so when they brought it into the show, I kept waiting for the moment where she meets her Mr. Bagwell, which they did meet Mr. Bagwell, but it just, the dude at the races, that was Mr. Bagwell. I kept thinking, okay. And then we got to the altar and I thought, oh, we're just writing this out. Like this is the storyline. And it it disappointed me because again, I just, I didn't want that in there. If it would have been like her versus Cressida or anybody, I was. Fuck Cressida. Yeah. Fuck Cressida. (laughs) There's like a whole scene in the book that I wish they would have put in. Like I doubt Cressida because she was being a bitch to Penn. I was like, I would have been all for that. But when they pit sister against sister, I did not like that. And that was my biggest rage because that was the one thing I think I loved the most about the book is they didn't do that. So that is my biggest rage. What did you think? Well, for me, it wasn't a rage. What what the part of it that was a rage for me was I think they drew it out too long. So I get it. I, I get what happened. I understand that they they did honestly need to add drama to this to this season with Anthony and Kate, because again, their story in the book is, there's not a lot of drama in it, to be completely fair. Um, That would engage a TV audience, especially one that has never read Bridgerton. But 
I don't think it should have gone as far as it did literally to the wedding. I think it should have ended at the Bridgerton's like ancestral home out in the country like it did in the books. Like I think that's where it should have ended, at least with Edwina. Even if him and Kate hadn't gotten together at that point, I don't think it should have been drawn out another like four episodes. The other thing that I thought was ridiculous was the fact that Kate and Anthony just continued to have all of these random hookups everywhere. And I'm like, and no one fucking saw you. The ton is everywhere. They see everybody. They are constantly catching people and forcing them to get married. I was like, there is no shot that not one person saw this situation in the garden. Because in the show, that's when people did see them and then they were forced to get married. It just wasn't believable to me, at least in that aspect, that they got away with all of this stuff. I was like, no one gets away with shit in this Mm -hmm. point, at this point of time. And I'm interested to see where they do take Edwina's character because I don't know if she's going to end up with Mr. Bagwell or if she's going to end up with like a prince somewhere, which I'm fine with. I don't really care. I don't have a preference because we don't even know her character outside of the show. We actually know her in the show. So I think I would have been happy as soon as they met at the race I would have been happy if the drama would have been like Kate was flirting with Bagwell and like Edwina to like one off each other. And then Edwina and Bagwell are kind of like, well, you know, kind of catch on and start doing their own thing. I would have been happy with that. And they did their own thing on the sly and they were caught in a garden or whatever that's the case That's what I is. thought was actually going to happen. Because in my head, I thought that's what happened. But I, like I said, I hadn't read it in so long. And I think I merged it with a book later on. But that's what I thought was going to happen. And it didn't. They just went on and on and yeah, on. And I think that's what like lost me is when they started fighting and she was like, you know, Bon, and I was like, this is exactly what I did not want to happen. I was like, this is exactly my issue. There was no shot. Her, her sister was going to find out all this happened and be again, fine with it. Like, this, oh, well, that I understand. Yeah. But, like, I wish they would have cut it off. Like yeah. I, I didn't, that's the whole part of it that I didn't like yeah. is I like in the book that she's just like, she even says to her at some part in the book, she was like, would you have noticed? Cause you were doing your own thing. Like yeah. you didn't even notice kind of mm-hmm. thing. Edwina in the book was also the first one to notice what was going on with Kate and Anthony and the show she was just completely oblivious which was fair she was just living her best life it was her first season she was just like you know everything is bright and shiny and excited but I did I did like her character arc though because she definitely hit a point was like good for you Edwina like you tell Mm -hmm. them and like she really kind of came into her own at the end I actually really like her relationship with the queen too. I was like, get those necklaces. (laughs) All right. Well, another, another big change, Lady Danbury. She is in two tiny little pieces of the book, but she is not like she is in the show. Thoughts on Lady Danbury this season? I I don't like the queen dynamic. Like I like in the book, how Danbury is essentially the queen. Like she runs the ton, like she runs everything. And I like that about her. I picture her as, you know, in the books, I picture her as Maggie Smith, just hitting people with her cane. So when the queen one upped her and she kind of like disappointed me a little bit. So I wasn't the biggest fan on that. I liked Lady Danbury regardless. I like who plays her. I think she does a great job. You throw the queen dynamic in and it's a whole different thing. Whereas she runs a ton in the books. So what about you? I really enjoyed the moment she had when they were in that museum and Cressida's mom was trying to be a bitch. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you talking about the Danbury wing? That's like, right. it's right there. Mm -hmm. See, Danbury? Like, I love that. (laughs) I also loved Violet and Lady Danbury in this season. They were cracking me up. And actually, I enjoyed the moment where it was the wedding and the queen was like, um, what is going to happen? This is on you. And Lady Danbury was like, for once, speechless. She was like out of scheme. She was speechless because it made her human. Not everybody is like constantly able to just think 20 steps ahead of everybody 24-7. And even though she usually does, it just made her human, especially the way her and Violet just were manically cackling because they truly were just like, what are we going to do? Tell the queen. They were cracking. They were cracking. And I I felt them so much in that moment because I have been in that moment where I was like, what the fuck do we even do? And you're just like hysterically laughing because you're just losing it. And I loved it. I loved that moment. So I actually liked Lady Danbury a lot in this season. I felt like we saw more more from her. We saw a lot more from her. Oh, we saw a ton of her. I think she also sunk into her character a little bit too. In the beginning of last season, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, but I feel like she kind of sunk into it and it's a little bit more natural now. Well, speaking of the queen, I know she was one of our biggest annoyances in season one because they added a queen and took out the Smith Smythes. <laughs> Did that change for you in season two? Do you like her more? I still don't know that I find her a necessary character, uh, but I did like her a bit more in season two. Also, because I think we were getting to see a little bit more. I also just 
love the effect that she has and just how sassy she is with people. So she honestly, I mean, Kate and Anthony would have never been accepted into society without her being like, I love them. Don't we all? Like, I just, <laughs> I love how petty she is. And so, and she's just ridiculous and over the top and just does whatever the fuck she wants. So that part of her, I definitely enjoy. Do I still feel like she's a vital part of the ton? No. And I do agree. I think they could have made Lady Danbury like, more of that role but I like the two of them I like their interaction and I like that uh, Lady Bridgerton is also kind of in that trifecta of women just like running everything behind the scenes so I liked the three of them and their dynamic a lot more this season I love the queen every time the king comes out every time she goes to Lottie my heart just expands any other time I can give a ticker although I do give the actress props for wearing that thing on her head it has to be so heavy I'm thinking like your chiropractic bill must be out of control but every time she ends up Lottie that's when I feel like the most for her and every time he comes out I'm hysterical (laughs) I am not okay I am not okay when he came out this last time I was like I was like full tears I was like Lottie I love you too I, I do like seeing, again, you get to see her mm-hmm. being a human, not just mm-hmm. <laughs> the queen. If I had my choice between that and the Smith Mites, I would take the Smith Mites. <laughs> I don't know that my ears would love that, but I would like to see it because, A, they're also a big part of it. They literally have their own spinoff. I still stand by the fact that if you wanted a spinoff, it could have just been them. I will still mm-hmm. stand by that. But and so again, funny. one of them marries into the Bridgertons, do they not? So I still don't know how that's gonna work but whatever we'll see what happens they're great comic relief they are they're so silly benedict can only do so much (laughs) truly (laughs) truly he's holding the comedy on his shoulders people that's on kate and anthony sheffield and kate and anthony sharma sheffield sharma i i struggled a little bit with them in the show i did like the dynamic i liked the fact that despite there was not as many sex scenes in season one, as we all know, and that was a huge Mm -hmm. gripe, I know, for a lot of people. But I felt like we almost took it back to more of like a pride and prejudice with them, where it was all about like the tension and Mm -hmm. the looks and the, you know, the hands and the pinkies. And just, I just felt like it was all this tension, which I did love. However, I don't think we got to see their relationship build the way we did in the book. And they did have some of those scenes here, but it just wasn't the same. And it wasn't, they weren't having those conversations like they did in the book. And they had a lot of very deep conversations in the book that I think really brought them together as characters. While there was all this tension and banter and I I enjoyed it. I just don't know if, if we saw their relationship as strongly in the show. What about you? I completely agree. I felt like in the books, yes, the tension on both ends were there, Mm -hmm. book and show. But the, I don't want to say chemistry or even connection, but the mental and the emotional Mm -hmm. connection was so much stronger in the book. And I felt like it was more bickering and Mm -hmm. more sexual tension in the show. There wasn't Mm -hmm. as much like depth for it. I agree. Yep. So I didn't, I veered towards the book because I felt like they actually had real, con- like you said, like real conversations, like in the show, I mean, the hunting scene, the Paul Mall scene, the like the where she eavesdrop scene, like it was just mm-hmm. like scene after scene. I was just like, Oh my God, give it a rest guys. Like we get yeah. it. We get it. I lean more towards the book. That's yeah. How I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It was depth. It was definitely missing that. And then they tried to cram too much of it in at the mm-hmm. very end. I just remember I kept pausing the last episode. I'm like, we have 20 minutes left and they're still doing this. Are you? Are mm-hmm. we really doing this right now? And I, I got frustrated with that. And I will say that was also a huge rage for me. It was just the fact that we did not get to see more of their relationship after the, when they were together. When the book, it's like half the book is them in a relationship. Maybe a little less than half, but not, you know, the last nine minutes of an episode. That was insane to me. I did not like that. I agree. We could have cut out the wedding scene. We could have cut out just some of the nonsense scenes. We could have cut out some of the stuff with the queen. Like we could have cut out the hunting thing and gotten more of them as a couple because they're like my favorite Bridgerton couple and we got 30 right. seconds of them together. I didn't like that at all. The bee hit. Like why couldn't yeah. we do it at the bee? Like they did in the book or yeah. even a little farther, but just not all the way to the wedding. I don't think we needed to go. And it was the wedding was a whole episode that I yep. don't think needed to be that long. That's where I got very frustrated when I realized I was like, we have nine minutes left and these hoes are still not together. So, okay. Okay, well, let's have a battle of the the taglines. So which line for you was better? I burn for you or you are the bane of my existence and the object of all of my desires? I'm going to say the latter because I feel like my future husband will probably say that to me. Yeah. Like I could see that 
saying him saying that burn for you just doesn't really resonate with me. We all know but- how I feel about that. Like, <laughs> we all know. I'm like, are you still burning? I'm I'm still really concerned. Like if you are, but yeah, bane of my existence. That line just shook me. Uh, fun fact though, Anthony actually says both of these lines in the books. Anthony sure actually says, "I burn for you." He says, "I desire you. I burn for you." And then there's some more stuff, but I was like, ah, they lied. It wasn't, and it actually wasn't even Simon in the show either, but it was all Anthony's. What did you think about, let's jump in, Eloise's storyline this season? Also, I see they did not listen to our podcast because I still don't like her dresses. I don't even know what to say. Her hair got better this season. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I can get there. A hundred percent better. The dresses, I mean, I don't even know what to say. That's just Eloise. I think being Eloise, I don't know what else to say about the, the dresses, but the hair got better. So at least I wasn't just like boggled every time I looked mm. at her. I kind of liked it. I loved when Eloise was coming out and she was like getting forced to dance with all these men and she was just like ripping them apart left, right and center. I was like, I love everything that's happening here. And I do feel like she also provided a little bit of a comic relief when she was just kind of in the corner like, oh, is this because I'm a woman? You know, there was, she just had a lot of great mm-hmm. lines. And I really enjoyed her perspective. I don't know if I needed this whole side thing with um, her little printer guy. It's interesting to me because I do want to see if they're going to continue that or if they are going to stay closer to the books. Like if they're like, I'm trying to figure out where they're going to go because I could honestly see Eloise being the one Bridgerton who like runs off with a quote unquote commoner. I could totally see her doing that. I don't know. I, it was, it was interesting. I don't know if we needed all of that because it could have been used for some other things, but yeah, I didn't need the uprising. (laughs) I could have gone without the (laughs) uprising meetings. Yeah. (laughs) I, I I did enjoy Eloise this season. I liked how she played with Benedict. Mm -hmm. I always like how they, I love their relationship play off of each other. And so I enjoyed that, but just thought, I thought it was cute that she like finally found somebody that she was mentally into, Mm -hmm. which is a big thing for Eloise. So I, I'm cool with the printer, but the whole uprising thing, I was like, and we're bringing, it's just like in my head, I was like, and we're bringing this in. Mm -hmm. I was like, one more thing. I was like, you're doing everything but the musicale for me. It was happening in the background. So I'm not saying it's not important, but they're just trying to do so much. Like something has to fall out of it. You cannot do everything in. And we already talked about the rig blowout. So what'd you think of Penelope? (sighs) Pen kind of frustrated me this season. I did like seeing, seeing her come more into her own as like a businesswoman and, you know, all of her dealings with like the Modiste and really trying to expand her business. But I did not like how she was interacting with Eloise when Eloise was kind of into somebody. I understand that Penn was getting nervous because she was trying to like protect her business, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel like she was being a good friend. Like she was not at all like supportive of her friend finding somebody that she was interested in. It was almost like a selfish thing. Like you're taking time away from me and not focusing in on the fact that her friend found somebody who was making her happy. I don't think that was, that was the pen I was expecting. But it could also be a little bit of frustration because Colin is just not getting it with her. Like he's just oblivious to everything that Penn feels for him. So what about you? I wasn't as invested in Penn as I was her family this season. Oh my God, the Featheringtons, they were awesome. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. At one point, I think I wrote a note down and I was like, her sisters are killing me. They, they... were cracking me up when she was doing the statue. I was, oh what is happening? God. But she just kept doing like Tai Chi <laughs> with the statue in her bright orange dress. I was crying. The Featheringtons <laughs> should be protected at all costs. I mean, let's talk they're about literally, it. They were literally that emoji, that like weird face. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> them. They are nuts, but in the best way. Lady Featherington. There was a lot of points where I'm like, am I for or against? I'm like, really? Same. I can't tell, but I really was rooting for her, especially because Cousin Jack was a fucking idiot. And I was mm-hmm. like, you are too good for this. You are too smart and too conniving to end up with this dum-dum over here who's unsuccessful. The only reason he would have any success would be because of her. Mm-hmm. So I was super happy when she kicked into the curb, basically swindled the swindler and was just like, she found the perfect way to be able to stay in the ton and blame everything on him. Obviously, there's going to be an impact in season three when the mm-hmm. ton is pissed off because he ran off with all their money. But I think that was, that's what I was hoping for in the end. It's like, is she really going to run off with this man? Like, don't do it. Don't do She it. gave that line at the end and she was, you know, kind of was like, I know my daughters are my daughters, mm-hmm. but I'm their mother. And I was like, Ooh, I yeah, that. that was a good line. How you delivered that. I was like, I can respect you for that. 
I, again, I was mm-hmm. sawing back and forth. I was like, at first I wrote a note and I was like, damn, go Lady Featherington. Mm-hmm. And then uh, halfway through, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. No. And then yeah. at the end, I was like, I can respect We're back. We're back around. I almost wonder if they cut out the Smite Smiths because of the fact that they did put such an emphasis on the Featheringtons. And it would have been harder to have three mm-hmm. families like Bridgerton, the Smite Smiths, and the Featheringtons and give them the arcs they deserve. That That's okay. that's the only thing I can really think of. But I'm, I'm glad the Featheringtons are getting their spotlight and got more screen time this season. She did. I, I just really enjoyed the sister. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was just so ridiculous. It kept cracking me up. I'm still mm-hmm. waiting for Penn's like shift in her clothes. I'm waiting for that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, I was, weren't we supposed to be doing that? I thought season? so. I was kind of waiting for that shift. And I thought because she had that relationship with the Modiste this season that we were going to mm-hmm. start seeing some of that. I did too. I, I thought like, that's what oh, was happening. Okay, we're still in our neon, our neon colors. I'm I'm ready for her to come out in some like just beautiful like emerald green or just like something that's just drop dead gorgeous. So hopefully also, season three. I love that she actually got to do her actual accent. I know. I love that part. I was like, look at you. That was good. That was cool. I, I like that, that part too. too. But mm-hmm. you could tell like took her a second because she's like so used to like forcing it off that she was like, okay. <laughs> it was funny. Well, as we're winding down uh, season two, Obviously, we're going to start ramping up for season three. So I'm expecting all of the Benedict content to start very mm. soon. And the Bridgerton steam-powered locomotive that's going to be coming <laughs> at us. <laughs> so what do you want to see happen in season three as we watch Benedict's story unfold? Because I honestly don't necessarily know how they're going to take it. I mean, I wasn't as invested in Benedict's book as I, I was theirs so if they want to go off script on this one fine I'm totally okay with that mm-hmm. I mean they do keep with that he's an artist and he's you know second son etc cetera, etc cetera. and I know the second book is more kind of like a Cinderella story take because mm-hmm. you know she's like a yep. something something so I would be intrigued to see that or I'd be intrigued to see him I'm more be bisexual like, that's what I was gonna say I was like is it even gonna be a woman that's what I was trying to figure out because they were kind of showing him as at least by like he definitely swings both ways so I was just like are we even going to go that direction are we going to have a thruple like what are we going to do but I think it could go any way but it looked like he was leaving and I know in his book he does take off because that's Mm -hmm. when he meets um I can't even remember her name but that's when he meets his love interest I don't know I think it could go a lot of different ways I'm actually more excited to see god I'm really hoping they change Penn's wardrobe by then I know Something, just get, give her something. Mm-hmm. A different hairstyle. I didn't like her hair. Her hair was the exact same. Anything, yeah. just anything. I'm hoping for a real shift in Colin. I hope so too, because he's not great. I don't want to see Marina again. I don't, I don't either. I do hope in season three, though, we do get more of Kate and Anthony since they both did sign on. Mm-hmm. I hope we get to go revisit their relationship since we got nothing. We got two minutes at the end of their relationship in their season. So I'm hoping we at least get that since they're both coming back. And I really do hope that Simon will come back. Kind of like one day of filming, sir. One day of filming and just pop into some scenes. I'm like, sir, remember your roots. I think those are the the biggest things though that I'm hoping for for season three. Anything else? Any other storylines you're looking forward to? I can tell you some storylines I'm wishing they would drop because they've added about nine bajillion. This is like a really Shondaland production. Mm-hmm. This is why I get anxiety and I can't keep up. I'm like, it's too much drama. <laughs> it's like I don't like this. I like get like one storyline, two storylines, three storylines, but we've like introduced five at this point and it's just overwhelming me. Kat, you read 20 books at once. How <laughs> could this possibly overwhelm you? <laughs> you should be like living for this. <laughs> I'm just like very finicky because like some things I can hold on to, but like, but like Law and Order SVU that I'm on yeah. 24. So. Yeah. See, that's like the anxiety. It all gets finished at the hour long <laughs> moment. It's like, and all things are done. Case solved. Yeah. <laughs> not Shonda. She's like throwing like somebody else mm-hmm. died. This is somebody's illegitimate kid from mm-hmm. their third marriage in Africa I'm waiting. that nobody knew about. I'm waiting. Like, I'm she's like, been pretty calm, to be completely honest. She's been pretty <sighs> calm. So I'm like, Shonda, season three, man. We're two seasons in. I'm expecting some some chaos, some creative chaos in the background. So listen, maybe Francesca is going to come out of left field, come back right now. <laughs> like, she's going to be like, who are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So 
sorry, who are you again? Yeah. There's Francesca no good judgment. We wrote pregnant. you out. We yeah, you out, like, that could be something that happens. And since there's no storyline or even character with her, I'd be okay with that. Hot ass mess. Well, mm-hmm. all in all, loved the music. I loved the Wrecking Ball when they played Robin's Dancing on My Own. I lost my whole shit. I think that's all I talked about to Kat for like a whole yeah. day when we were in DC because it is one of my favorite songs. Love it so much. Love the soundtrack, love the costumes, love the season, love the characters. There's some things we could uh, have done without, but I think they're doing overall a great job considering we love this book adaption so much. I would like to know if Newton got signed on for the next season. <laughs> uh, he better have. And I also need more Paul Mall. Like they can't just end it now. They have to keep going. So I hope they do. But we'll so see. that's what I'm hoping. I'll be pissed. The fact that he stole the ball and like ran away with it at the end. And then they were like, uh, well, that's your turn. And I was just like, I was dying. I was like, yes, this is everything. I love me some Newton. But all in all, I would say check it out. Don't read the book. (laughs) Don't read the book first. Watch the show and then read the book because otherwise it's just, it just puts you in a bad headspace. If you have already read the book, nobody read book three until after we watch the next season. I promise you will enjoy it a lot more than when you read it fresh and it's in your head and you just sit there like, no, 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 the whole time. Yeah, I'm going in with no expectations on Benedict. It's much better. And I think that's going to be a win for me. Yeah. All right, well... Dear listeners, we want to hear from you. How did you feel about season two of Bridgerton? What were your thoughts on some of the bigger changes? Email us at hello at pageragepodcast.com or DM us on Insta at pageage underscore podcast. And of course, as always, please, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast network. <laughs>